Welcome to the School of Travels podcast. I'm your host, Becky Gillespie, and each week I bring you stories of how travel can truly change your life if you take the chance to get out on the road and step out of your comfort zone. My guests also share travel tips and lessons they've learned along the way, which I hope inspires you to let travel be your teacher. Hello, listeners. I hope all of you have been staying safe and strong wherever you are out there listening during this coronavirus pandemic. I am currently staying with some of my close friends here in Tokyo for an undetermined period of time. And I've actually been in Japan for two and a half months now. And this is officially the longest time I've stayed in one place since becoming a digital nomad in November 2017. So it's feeling like I'm sure a lot of us feel It's feeling like it's getting long to be in one place in uh, a room. But I have to say that I feel lucky for a few things. First of all, that I had already built up a network in Japan for over 10 years of working and getting permanent residency in this country. So being here is like second nature. And I'm also legally able to work if I decide to do so while I'm here. The other thing I'm grateful for is that I was already working online before all of this happened. So it's already normal for for me to spend my days working in a room or not having co-workers right next to me and I think I would be certainly climbing the walls or feeling a stronger sense of isolation if that were not the case. The ability to work from home is actually a big theme of my interview in this episode with Ian Robinson. I recorded this interview with him back at the end of 2019 when we were both in different parts of Thailand which feels like a completely different world now, I have to say. I was so excited to interview Ian because he'd actually been on the same Nomad cruise with me just a few weeks earlier, and I had seen his name on one of the daily programs and thought that his name looked really familiar, but I said, it can't be the same Ian Robinson. It can't be the Ian Robinson that was the host of the very first podcast that I'd ever had the chance to listen to when I was working in an office back in 2009. But it turned out that it was actually the same guy. And when I met Ian and heard him talk, I knew it was him and I was so excited. And I said, I have to interview you for my podcast. That would just be such a full circle. Ian has such an adventurous outlook on life and his early adventures living life on the road really inspired me to one day try to do something similar. Ian is just as kind, optimistic, and curious about life as he seems in the podcast. And I'm so excited to introduce him to you here. The biggest takeaway that I can emphasize from my talk with Ian is how he transitioned from having what he called bad or tough jobs that always gave him just enough money to quit for a month, enjoy travel, and then he'd have to go out looking again for another bad or tough job that often involved a lot of manual labor. He was able to transition from this to working online and making more while he was on the road than he did reporting in for this kind of daily manual grind. And I think this is the kind of mindset we need to focus on a lot more in these times when so many of us are being forced to work from home. What if you could create an online job on your own terms and in the future you wouldn't feel forced to stay at home, but you would actually be delighted to have this kind of location freedom. This is what Ian has excelled at, and he's definitely learned a lot along the way. And so I hope you enjoy my interview with my very first podcast host I ever heard, Ian Robinson. Welcome to episode 35 of the School of Travels podcast. And today, listeners, is a very special day because today I am interviewing Ian Robinson, who was the very first voice I ever heard on a podcast. Ian, I'm so excited to welcome you to the show. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me on to your podcast. Thank you. Well, can you first tell the listeners, how did we meet, Ian? We met on Nomad Cruise 10. Uh, I, the first thing that I, the first time I really re- remember was you, you had finished rapping in front of everyone, a song that everybody was really appreciative of. So it was pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I remember seeing your name on the list of people on the cruise, and I thought, that cannot be the Ian Robinson that I listened to <laughs> way back. I think it was like 2009 or something, 2010, when I found your podcast. And um, But finally, a few days later, we finally got to meet. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's awesome. It was really nice to hear that you enjoyed my podcast. I didn't hear a lot about, about people. I didn't hear from a lot of people who enjoyed it, so it was really cool to hear that. Yeah. And thank you again. You really inspired me to get on the road and start thinking of how to get away from my cubicle. So you're really the first inspiration. 
Oh, cool. Thanks a lot for that. Yeah. So now I'm excited to introduce you to my listeners. And can you first tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I mean, I uh, I guess when I was working on that, I was I was really working on figuring out a way to travel and um, you know be able to have like a lifestyle where I was able to do traveling without having to keep stopping and finding jobs. Because my first examples of kind of long term travel were were working. I was I was like picking fruit and working on cattle stations and doing dangerous jobs that nobody else wanted to do. And that was the only way I could really continue to travel. And so that was what I was doing. And now I run a podcast production agency and I. Uh, I make I do, I do stuff online that makes it so that I don't have to get horrible job every few months, you know. Yeah. Well, where are you from originally, Ian? I'm originally from Reno, Nevada. Okay. And did your you and your family travel a lot when you were a kid? Yeah, that's how I kind of got um, sucked into it. We used to go to Mexico once a year, so we would just drive down to Mexico from northern Nevada. So like that's like a 14 hour drive. So that's a big trip. And then when I was like 13, we went to Costa Rica, and I remember thinking Costa Rica is one of the coolest places in the world. And I remember meeting somebody down there that, that was just traveling down there. And I was like, wow, you get to just come down here. And I, that was like something I really wanted to be able to do. Oh, wow. Then when did you first get out um, beyond North America, let's say, on your own after this early family travel inspiration? I studied abroad in Spain. And then uh, a year later, I studied abroad in Chile. Oh, wow. And so those were two kind of three-month sessions where I lived outside of the country. And that just kind of fueled that thing because... I really enjoyed those times. Um, I, I, it was actually really cool. I wish that there was more study abroad program type things for people that aren't in college because uh, it was great to be going to classes and learning Spanish really aggressively. That was that was a, the most valuable thing that I did in college, for sure. So, wow. were you majoring in Spanish yeah. or minoring to to take those classes as part of study abroad? Yeah, yeah. I got. A, I have a, a major in Spanish. Oh wow! And I also have a business major, and my business major had a lot less to do with the real world than the Spanish major did. So Fascinating. At one point, I was minoring in Spanish, and I had a finance major. And I, I actually studied abroad on the finance major, but it was just a seven-week thing in the summer. And that was what got me going uh, on the road, too. So I really think it, it's great if you can study abroad in college. It's one of the most inspirational things. Yeah, finance is interesting because it's more of a hard science, right? I was doing a lot of economics and things. Like, I mean, when we were studying finance, I, I studied finance too as part of the business degree. Like, learning about annuations and things like that was kind of super useful. Um, whereas the social science elements of a business degree, like economics, um, I've since come to believe are you know exercises in futility to a degree. <laughs> yeah, I, I was, I mean, I remember just taking two economics classes and then like I saw more value in the finance because we were doing like mortgage calculations and, you know, some retirement calculations and it just felt much more applicable to the everyday person. So, yeah, yeah, cool. I agree with that. Yeah. So how did you feel when you studied abroad that when you, when you got to, did you go to Spain first? Yes. Yeah, Spain first. I did three months in Spain. Um, that was where I kind of did the introductory level classes. And then later in Chile, I, I kept getting better. And then afterwards, I kept learning by um, listening to podcasts or like, I don't know, just, oh, reading books was the big thing that I was doing back then. And now uh, I travel to Costa Rica and um, other Central American countries as often as possible to kind of keep that skill up. And I'm, I feel like it's getting better uh, as the years go by. Wow. I know people are always looking for ways to learn languages the most effectively. Um, yeah. And I think they miss that idea of reading because it seems so hard compared to, yeah. it doesn't seem as, quote, useful as speaking is going to when they're traveling or going abroad that first time. Oh, yeah. I mean, they they talk about that. Malcolm Gladwell po popularized this guy's work, and they, he was talking about the, the idea of um, intentional learning. It's like the learning that, that sucks, you know? It's like when you're trying to read a book and it's it's kind of over your head and you're looking up words every, every, every you know, every sentence you're working looking up three words. Mm -hmm. That's like a really pitiful way to go through a book and it takes forever. But it's also the, the fastest way to learn, in my opinion. Yeah, I just read a book called Cal Newport, So Good They Can't Ignore You. And he talks about that same idea. And I think cool. he yeah. used the same phrase. Anders Ericsson, I think, was the name of the guy. Ah, oh, yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But Cal Newport's great. Um, yeah. His, uh, what's it, something, something hard work or something? The one that you just read was the next of his books. And the first one, I, we were talking about how I, I also like that one. I deep work. Deep work. That's it. Yeah. And he, I think he wrote Digital Minimalism as well. Uh, oh, cool. And so, yeah, if, if listeners haven't heard of Cal Newport, check it out. Check him out. There's so much to learn there, too, about 
yeah. the side of what we do as well, like trying to find the most efficient ways on the road to work and yeah, realize the importance of not working too much, I would say. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He does. He talks a lot about like how you shouldn't kill yourself. Yeah. Another really good book about that is Perennial Seller by Ryan Holiday. It's about how if you're if you expect that your work's going to like last a long time, there's no need to get it done quick. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't have an urgency, according to the book, to you know complete it. But at the same time, uh, it's better to focus on building things that last a long time. So useful. So useful. So yeah. you so you finished in Chile. You were studying there, and then. What happened? Did you go back home or did you go back to college, finish it up and then get on the road right away? Or what was your timeline yeah. there? I went back to the to Northern Nevada and finished my degree. I graduated from college. And then I, I started a job working as a tour guide um, where I would just drive tourists around the United States, basically just being a tour guide uh, for road trips in the US. I did that for a few months and then I worked on, um, on a farm in Northern California. And then I... Uh, <laughs> And then, then I uh, moved to Australia on a working holiday visa. Ah, okay. What are the? Do you know the rules for working holiday visas in Australia for Americans? Yeah, there's. Okay, so that's really funny that you asked me that question. So, in uh, working holiday visa, there's this working holiday visa, and there's a work and holiday visa. No way, okay. really. Did you hear the difference? <laughs> there's a working holiday visa, and there's a work and holiday visa. Americans are eligible for the work and holiday visa, and then. Germans and French people and some other people, I think Canadians, are, are eligible for a working holiday visa. With the working holiday visa, meaning the one that Americans aren't eligible for, you can work for three months in agriculture. Um, and if you get your three months in agriculture, you can take your paperwork into the immigration office and say, hey, I did three months worth of agriculture work. Give me another year of a working holiday visa. Because a lot of people come to Australia wanting to work in normal jobs, but the agriculture jobs are where they really need people. So therefore, you can extend your visa. I did like six months of agriculture work because I got kind of held up on the cattle station because it was really aggressive, interesting work. Um, but so uh, I ended up going into the office with my paperwork all filled out for the working, for the, yeah, the working holiday visa, which is not the visa I had. And uh, she, the lady asked she's to see my paperwork and I filled it out with signatures from all the guys I worked with and you know, it was really nice paperwork that I completed that took a long time. And she was like, okay, let me see your passport. And she, I showed her my American passport. She's like, oh, Americans aren't eligible for this. <gasps> so I learned a pretty aggressive lesson right then. So I had two months left on my work, work and holiday visa. And so instead of having 14 months in Australia, I all of a sudden had 12. So uh, that's kind of a, something to pay attention to if you're an American. Oh, so we only get uh, one year regardless. We've got to go back. Right. We, we don't have the opportunity to extend it. Oh, wow. Um, or at least that's how it was in 2010. Who knows? Things might have changed. Yeah. But, uh, Say, listeners, yeah. check out the, be very careful for anyone listening, check out the rules to these visas. <laughs> yeah, it really makes sense to research visas and stuff. I've screwed it up so many times. And like, that was one of the things I thought was really funny <laughs> when you, you sent me the list of questions on here. I'm like, oh, no. As much as I travel, you'd think I'd be better at it, but it's not true. Like, I, I'm still not that good at traveling. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. There, I, I found like there's different travel strengths that people have. Even if you've got two people that both absolutely love travel, one is better at something than the other one in terms of travel. Like I love booking yeah. Airbnbs. I don't know. or I love booking accommodation and looking at reviews and finding a place that that's like really gives me energy. But I, I have awesome. friends. Yeah. They're like, you do it. I hate it. It's the worst thing ever. And I'm like, good, I'll do it. <laughs> But you navigate me. You navigate me and drive me around because that's what I'm not as good at. <laughs> oh, my word. Oh, yeah. Well, we'd make great traveling companions then because I can't stand organization and I can navigate anywhere. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's We, we should have like travel interviews with the people we're thinking of traveling with at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. A qualification round. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be like an internet, like a web app sort of idea. It's, it's like Tinder for travelers. Yeah, there you go. Hey, I like it. I like it. Um, so you you got so you had twelve months, and you you then suddenly found yourself having to leave Australia and go yeah. back to the America. What happened yeah, then? I had, uh, after that, I um, I had just met Veronica, my wife now, and we moved to um, Indonesia. Um, oh. And then, so we kind of like 
let a bunch of our money run out or my money run out in Indonesia. And then we moved to Hawaii together. And uh, then again, we screwed up with the visa understanding. And oh. uh, so, <laughs> so we thought that if we got married, v, v could just stay in the country with me. And uh, it turns out it doesn't work like that at all. Wow. So she went home after our wedding and then couldn't get back in the United States. And then we read the visa paperwork. Which again, we should have done in the first place. <laughs> oh, these <laughs> and, are this uh, is like major stuff here. Like... <laughs> yeah, we found out that it would take about five years for that process to complete. Oh my goodness! Really? And so she wasn't going to be allowed to come into the United States until that was uh, uh, that was complete. And then, and so that kind of threw a wrench in the plans because we were planning on staying in Hawaii for a while. Oh wow! And I guess did that mean she like you could go back to Australia on a tourist visa, right? At that stage. I out. could, but I, I wouldn't be allowed to work. And I didn't really have enough money to live in Australia because Australia is expensive if you're not working. Mm-hmm. So I was able to get a working holiday visa in uh, New Zealand. And oh. so we moved to New Zealand for a while. Okay. Is that the same as Australia? You can stay for a year as an American? Yeah, the visa s- system is the same. You can stay for a year. You have multiple in and outs. So if you arrive on January 1st, you can stay until January 1st of the next year. But you could like leave the country four or five times and still come in and out without a problem oh okay cool uh, but that's yeah, also the, the working holiday visas are awesome and i think you can do them in canada and great britain maybe ireland and stuff like that like i really wish i had learned about that before um the one thing about them that you need to know is that if you, if you turn 30 you there you become not eligible or on your 31st birthday you become not eligible for them anymore oh. so if you're into the living in different countries and working jobs like and it's a really great way to see the world because like when I was working on an Australian cattle station, I had an Australian experience that's like more intensely local Australian than most even Australians get. And so if you, you know, if you move to Ireland and get a job on a sheep farm or something like that, it's a really cool way to, to see the world and make a little bit of money while you're doing it. So you keep, keep doing those things. Uh, yeah. That's amazing. I have to say, I never looked any of that up when I was in college. <laughs> it just, I don't know. It didn't I don't know why it didn't cross my mind, but you know, wouldn't what an experience you could have, like you said, in all yeah, these different places. Yeah. I, yeah, I wish I hadn't figured it out beforehand because by the time I turned uh, 31, I don't, I would only done two of them, and I think it would have been great to live and work in uh, the United Kingdom and uh, Ireland. It would be awesome. Yeah, it's like you get to sample these different places, then maybe find a way to live there a lot longer. Yeah, that's it. And then uh, let's see. So yeah, we moved to New Zealand, and then that was when I was really tired of uh, doing crappy jobs. Because there was this like three to one ratio of like working versus I would work for like three if if like I would I called them time periods. If I worked for three time periods, I I would be able to travel for one. So if I worked for three months, I'd be able to travel for one month, and it was really really challenging because sometimes if you do it for a month, it usually takes a week or two to find a new job. It was just not a lot of fun. It was just really wearing on me. So the idea was how do how do I start building something to where I don't have to continuously reset you know go from zero back up to like nine thousand, and then slowly drop back down to zero and know that i'm gonna have to start working again yeah and then now you have v as well you have to think of another person's schedule too yeah yeah that was that was one thing um v v v wasn't a computer person at all when we when we first met and so as i started learning learning this new new system she had a job in new zealand she was just much better at living in new zealand than i was i think it had something to do with the fact that she's australian and australians can just move to new zealand and there's no risk that they're just they don't have to leave in a year and so when i was there i had everyone that i would um try to get a job with they knew that i was going to be gone in a year so the only jobs i was really eligible for were temp sort of bad work you know oh yeah and so she was able to kind of start a career in retail there um which made it so she was in a different position than me. And so while she was kind of building a career and moving up in this company that she was working with, I was just kind of like doing the, the worst jobs available. <laughs> and so I still got to spend a lot of time learning how to do other stuff like building websites. And uh, I was just researching how to start internet businesses and stuff. And so that's what I was working on back then. I think um, that's a key yeah. point that you weren't just sitting around watching. Well, Netflix probably wasn't around then, but you know, that, it's so easy <laughs> to just kind of feel bad bad about everything and just fall into a kind of pattern where you're not doing things that might get you further to the next step. And I think it's important for people to like focus on that and realize if they're in a funk to kind of get, Hey, let's start learning about new things. And what am I curious about? Yeah. Especially with internet business stuff, because so much like 
I, everything, every, almost nothing works. Like I spent so much time working on stuff that didn't work. And I'm, most of my time still to this day is spent working on stuff that doesn't work. But then if you find something that does work, it's really, really cool. And I think you got to just really just be a glutton for punishment of just trying stuff, see, finding out that it doesn't work and then trying again. Yeah, that trying because again, podcast, it's hard. Yeah. Like you have to have that self-confidence or the, enough self-esteem, it seems like, to just not beat yourself to the ground and not start again. So Yeah, it's super hard. It's one of the hardest things in the world, I think. Yeah. Do you, um, do you have any tips yeah. for how to how you learned to to handle that? Because yeah, that, like I said, it's so hard. Well, I really like building websites and making podcasts and you know editing videos and stuff like that. So for me, it was easy because I really I I'm self motivated by that kind of stuff. So I think finding stuff that's self motivating is really useful. Mm-hmm. I remember yeah. Cal Newport. Um, he he was saying, "Don't really follow your passion so much because you know you might if unless it's really really." really your passion, you, you might not have enough motivation when you do hit those walls and just, you know, start doing work that you, you kind of understand and you can just do that, you know, hard work to get better at. And then you'll intrinsically start to like it somehow. Yeah. I mean, I loved surfing at the time, but I didn't think I was going to become a pro surfer. <laughs> <laughs> like There are people that are way better than me. I, I love to go surfing, but obviously I thought a much better chance that somebody would be willing to pay me to build a website or edit some content, then there is a chance that I'd get paid to be a pro surfer. Yeah. Passion's kind of a weird one. Yeah. I don't understand it. Know the difference between your hobbies or what is pro- what are probably your hobbies and what could be more. Yeah. I mean, if your hobbies like, you know, digging holes, you're probably in a great spot because, you know, there's a lot of people who are willing to pay people to dig holes. But if your hobbies, uh, you know, scuba diving drunk, then, you know, it's probably not a lot of people who care about that. <laughs> You're going to have to find something else to do in the meantime. Oh, wow. Um, I can't even imagine. I just got my scuba diving license a few months ago and ooh, doing it drunk. Never, never for me. <laughs> no, that's a bad idea. I think I meant snorkeling, but still, it doesn't matter. It, it both work. <laughs> well, if you're having scuba diving drunk, you should probably quit <laughs> doing that. <laughs> right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh well okay so you started researching internet businesses and then what did you try first um uh, i tried you know building affiliate websites I, I started a like an affiliate website that sold surf wax which is obviously a stupid idea i still have that one um it makes like four cents a year so <laughs> i've lost like because you know it costs like 12 dollars a year to do the domain so i've probably lost like a hundred dollars on that one uh just a ton of stuff too um, just a lot of affiliate stuff and um, just building websites and learning how the web development works, learning how WordPress works. Yeah. And then I got an opportunity to work with um, a guy in the Philippines named Chris Ducker. Chris taught me how to make podcasts and then he introduced me to my first client. And then that's how I started the podcast production business is because uh, Chris could see I was willing, I was capable of building WordPress websites and I could do a lot of stuff on the internet. And then um, he just slowly introduced me to clients. And then once I got the first the first client, the best thing with client work is word of mouth. So, um, you know, Chris introduced me to a guy named Lewis and Lewis had a podcast that really grew. Um, it's called The School of Greatness. And that turned into a really successful podcast. And Lewis introduced me to a bunch of people that, you know, saw his success and kind of wanted to mimic it and they needed somebody. And so that grew into me having like six clients uh, and I started a separate company where I was sort of marketing on my own. So, you know, because of the client list that we had, we were able to pull in more people and then uh, pull in more clients. And we were producing podcasts for them, doing a lot of uh, web development for, for these people. And, uh, you know, that caused word of mouth to grow bigger. And then we started uh, developing a team where we could produce more than six podcasts. Sorry, there's a long tail boat going off in the background. I don't know if you can hear it. Oh, I can hear it. I was kind of wondering what that was. And I'm like, oh, wow, you're right next to the water. <laughs> yeah, I'm in Thailand. I'm, I'm looking at the water and uh, they have these car engines that are like cantilevered on the on the, on the the back of their boats here. And uh-huh. then the, the drivetrain just goes into the water. And so they're really loud and super dangerous looking. Oh, man, but, I, I'm uh, hoping you're not sleeping near the water, <laughs> near, near that every night. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Uh, well, so, yeah. that's amazing. Uh, so you really like, like you said, word of mouth was just, you know, slowly or was it pretty quick growth, would you say, from like starting in the Philippines to 
getting your own company? No, I, I'd say it really grew slowly. Okay. Um, the first first client um, that was, you know, uh, I think V was still working. It wasn't until the you know sixth client that we could actually you know survive on it if we were living in foreign countries. Like I remember the first time we made more, I made more money abroad than I did than I was spending was when we were in Nicaragua, and that was like a really amazing time of year to realize that we were saving money. We were working on something that was continuously growing, and I didn't uh, I didn't have to get a job anytime soon. So that was like the moment and i was living right next to the water so i could keep surfing in in my uh spare time wow um, so yeah. were, were, was the number of hours you were working were they also starting to decrease because you were building a team or was it still a whole lot of hard work at that point i don't know i just i still like to work um whenever i'm not ha having fun so I, I don't really count hours at all mm -hmm. so I, I i just honestly don't have a good answer for that the truth is i probably work way more than I definitely, I, I think I definitely work more than my friends who have jobs and stuff like that. I, I would like to talk about that for a moment because I think there is this uh, idea that people like us who are, you know, on, on the move, constantly working around the world, that we don't work actually. <laughs> that there's not yeah. much that we're doing besides sitting on the beach. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I'm always like, no, actually, I work more than you do, but yeah, but I'm doing it from anywhere, and I can choose how much or how little really to do. So, well, in my yeah, case, I mean, I've met I've met some people that that you know have the you know it, they've maybe figured out something that works really well, like, and then they're really good at building teams and outsourcing a lot of it, and they they actually don't have to work very much at all. But um, but for me, I, I just like today I woke up and I was working on web programming, which is just a passion of mine now. It's just something I really like to do, and so. I, you could say I've been working on it all day, but I'm not getting paid to do any of it. It's just sort of like investing in this skill that I expect to have in the future. And so, I don't know, is it technically working or am I just playing at this new hobby that I have? I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure the hobby will become, you know, financially useful in the future. So, yeah, that's, I don't know. That's awesome. If you don't count, if you, if you don't, if you only say I work when, whenever I'm getting like paid like specific units for specific elements of work, I probably don't work that much, but when I'm developing skills and things like that, I spend a lot of time doing that. Yeah. And it's very important and it is yeah. happening listeners. You do have to keep pushing yourself to maintain this lifestyle usually. Um, yeah. And hopefully it's Perhaps. continual growth in something like you mentioned. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I also yeah. wanted to ask you, how did you get that position in the Philippines in the first place that started you out on the podcast route? It was through the, the Tropical MBA podcast. They put up an internship um, through that website. And then I, it was like me and 100 other people. And I, I just kept getting through into the next levels. And I think it was, uh, Chris said it was because he thought that I, I was the one who wanted it the most. So yeah. Yeah, that's important. So Making videos about that. I would edit them together. And yeah, I was just looking for opportunities. Because I was working this crappy job in New Zealand. So every time I wasn't working, I was just... Okay, how do I make sure I never have to do this kind of thing again? Yeah, that'll be a huge motivator for sure. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I want to ask absolutely. also, like, um, what, so you've, you're mentioning these different countries like Nicaragua, Chile, Costa Rica. What has been one of your favorite countries you've ever been to? Uh, my favorite, one of my favorite co countries is still Costa Rica. Um, I really love Hawaii. I know that's not a country, but I feel like it's <laughs> different than the U.S. It um, is. <laughs> ba Bali, Indonesia is just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I really like South Africa. Um, I really love Australia. And um, yeah, I think that's Thailand is really great um, because I like to surf a lot. I, it's not my top favorites, but and then I, I really love, um, you know, northern Nevada in like the Lake Tahoe area. So those oh, are kind okay. of like my favorites, favorite areas. Um, Bali, Indonesia is kind of the if somebody was to ask me, like, what's your favorite sort of weird one that I should go visit? I think Bali is really phenomenal. Why do you feel so drawn to Bali? It just their culture is so so different than ours. Like they're uh, all the kids are named within the order that they're born, right? I can't recall exactly how it works, but it's like there's Mare, Katuk, um, Gade, and uh, Wayang, and uh, a fifth name that I can't remember. But you're, you're you're named in the order that you're born. And so if you meet Mare, and I'm not getting this right, but I'm just doing it as an example. If you meet somebody named Mare, you know that they have like an older brother or older sister. And it's sex independent. It doesn't matter if they're a guy or a girl. Um, 
And so that's kind of crazy, right? And then yeah. if, if there's a sixth kid in the family, the sixth kid is named the first name and they just start repeating. So it's <laughs> a totally bizarre culture, right? Like everyone yes. meets Made, Katuk, or Gade or whatever. And so that's wild. Every morning, the Balinese people put out offerings, one's on the ground and one's um, you know up high somewhere. It's like a banana leaf basket with rice and crackers and stuff like that. And uh, as soon as they put it out, it becomes, it's like already been offered to the gods. So when you're walking through town, you can feel free to step on them and stuff like that. But uh, that's pretty bizarre. So that creates this different thing. And then Bali is also has this just phenomenal um, natural environment. The uh, surf there is super duper good. It's probably one of the best places to surf in the world. And it's very inexpensive as well. And it used to have terrible internet, but now I've heard that it's got, um, the internet's better. So I think it's going to just continue to grow in, uh, in, a, in terms of a place that people would want to go. And I've also heard that it's also getting more crowded now. So Yeah, I've only been once, but it's been seven years ago. So I have a feeling yeah. there's been so much change. Uh, the internet being faster would be a great one. <laughs> but yeah, I need to get back there and check it out again, I think. They also have wild fruits and things. Like if you go to the markets there, you'll find, you know, mangosteen and anona. And they don't call it anona there. They call it something else. Guanabana. Those kinds of fruits where if you grew up in the United States and you never left it, you'll never, you'll have never seen these things before. Wow. So that's pretty awesome. Have yeah. you studied any Indonesian? No. I know like, uh, pagi, which is like good morning or evening or afternoon or something like that. And it usually comes back kind of quickly when we're there, but, uh, no. And they, I think they have a different dialect in Bali, but I'm not sure. Uh, Indonesia is obviously... Uh, a giant country in Bali is a very unique island in Indonesia because Indonesia is the, the country with the third largest population in the world. Most people don't know that. Well, I didn't know that. that. <laughs> Most of them, it's the, I think it's, I think they have the largest population of Muslim people in Indonesia. Um, but Bali, the Balinese people are, have this, um, it's called like an animist religion where they have it. It's, they're not Muslim. And so Bali is a very unique part of Indonesia what it used to be sort of experience. Yeah. Well, okay, I'm going to put Bali back on my list. (laughs) It does sound like you love adventure. Could you tell us one of your biggest adventures on the road since you started traveling? Okay, so we did the tallest mountain in uh, Costa Rica. That was a really fun one. Um, In Costa Rica, you can go to this, uh, can't remember the name of the town at all. It's at the base of the mountain, and it's called Chiripo, C-H-I-R-R-O-P-O. And the last O has a little accent mark over it, so it's Chiripo. And um, there's a place there that you can climb to the top of Costa Rica, and you can see the uh, Caribbean Sea and the uh, Pacific Ocean from that vantage point. And there's actually like ice up there because it gets so cold. Um, that was a huge hike. It was a little bit longer than a marathon, and we did it in a day. We started at like 3 a.m., and we finished at about um, like right after the sun went down the next morning. So that was a super intense adventure. It, I wouldn't recommend that to people that aren't significantly fit. You can, you can break it down into two days if you rent a place. And if you can rent a place and stay near the top. And then you stay a night there. And then that cuts the hike in half. So you only have to do like 10 miles a day. <laughs> uh, 10 miles. So yeah, that was a fun one. <laughs> and it's really high. Like you go from tropical forests up to, uh, you know, a high desert situation. Wow. So, do, you, do you remember it, how high it was? I can't remember the specific numbers because it was all, I was doing it in meters and feet and I, I'm so confused now, but I did do a YouTube video on, on it called uh, Climbing the Tallest Mountain in Central America. But since then, I've learned that it's not the tallest men- mountain in Central America, but <laughs> there's a YouTube video about it where we, we talk about the, the whole process and it, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it shows exactly how we did it. Oh, the cool. YouTube video, maybe we could add it to the show notes or something like that. Yeah, I would love to. If you just like Google Ian Robinson Chiripo, you'll be able to find it. Oh, thank you. No, that sounds like yeah. quite an intense experience. <laughs> it was really hard. My knee, I've never had my knees hurt so bad. I was sore for like a week afterwards. I love like that, those extreme conditions and trying to push yourself. Yeah. The, uh, the other big adventures for me are, are surfing in, in big, big wave spots. I surfed at some pretty big waves in Panama and Hawaii and um, Australia and stuff. And that's always a really, really aggressive adventure. You know, I started learning how to surf in 2010 and now I'm, I'm pretty, I've learned a lot. So I, a lot of my life is spent like going to surf spots and living and working from surf spots. That's usually when I'm the happiest. How do you get over tackling a massive wave? 
for the first time because I've always looked at it and going, I, uh, I can never see myself going out there with that board. Yeah. I mean, the only way to do it is to go out. It's, it's dangerous and it's, it's like life, like life threatening sometimes. Um, and you just, you, I don't know, you just trial by fire is the way to do it. The, the only way to surf, it, you know, if people take lessons two or three times, they're not really scratching the surface. The, the key is to spend two or three months surfing, you know, th- five times a day and uh, just continuously getting better and better at it and making it a, a core part of your life for a few months at the very least. So surfing is really, really hard to learn. I think that it's the hardest thing I've ever learned how to do. So it's intentional learning. Again, you have to do the hard stuff. A lot of it's just getting strong enough to do it. Um, you know, like you're not strong enough to do it at first. You've got to like surf and paddle every day for a few weeks to just have the strength to be able to get through the waves, learn how duck diving works. And it's a, it's a really hard thing to learn. You, that, there's a reason that the surfers are all kind of shaped in a similar way, you know? Yeah, you know, you see some fat guys that are good at surfing, but that's usually because they've got really good timing and they grew up surfing. But for the most part, surfers are really fit. I learned it. It's so much about the arms. I thought, of course, like it's about standing and pushing those legs up. But no, like you got to have arms of steel. You've got to get so good in order for your legs to be the the thing that you're working out. Like <laughs> that 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 only comes after like for me, it came after like year five when I was surfing really long, great waves. I, my legs are never the never the shortness. It's always upper body and aerobic strength. It's it just feels great. I love it. Do you have any other big adventure you can think of that maybe something that really impacted your life and changed it? Or yeah, surfing's been one of those. I, I really like taking long motorcycle rides now. We're about ready to go on on a motorcycle ride across Vietnam, so we're gonna buy a motorcycle in uh, Ho Chi Minh City and then drive it uh, way up north, uh, probably past Hanoi. Um, and uh, I think that'll be a really cool one. We've done long motorcycle trips kind of in the past, but uh, I think this one will be kind of the biggest one we've ever done. Wow. Is V getting her own motorcycle? No, I think we'll just get one where she can ride on the back. I, I, I would prefer that. Too. <laughs> <laughs> You've got an extra pair of eyes to help you like find some yeah. potholes or who knows. I don't know. It, it might be the best way to go. It, it, it's all the bikes are pretty small. They're all like 155 is the biggest uh, kind of bike that we have access to without getting a special license in Vietnam from what I've mm-hmm. learned. I don't even know if that's true, but I've just been researching it recently. And so, um, yeah, my, it's going to be tight, it, but a lot of people have done it. So I'm, I'm sure it'll be all right. Oh yeah. It's going to be amazing. And you can't, it's like another one of those things where you can't go on holiday, but also be on your phone all the time and things like that. It's, you know, I love that this kind of <laughs> adventure, like surfing is the same. You, you get, you totally get out of your head and into the moment. Yeah. That's the thing that's really great about surfing is you really can't be doing anything else. It's very focus, focus driven. It's very close to meditation, I think. Yeah, um, I've heard that. In, in terms of adventure, one of the things that I really like to do is just move to a new place for a minimum of three months because that really makes it so that, you know, you know how to get around the city without driving, you know, you, you start to learn people, you start to know people at cafes and things like that. And you really start to learn how to live in a place. And, uh, I think that that has always been one of the coolest things, whether I'm, you know, living in, uh, Costa Rica or where else have we done that? New Zealand or South Africa, spending a lot of, that makes it so that you can have like local friends there. Like I can't stand traveling for to new places for less than a week. And if it's less than like two days, I just completely go insane because it's just, it just seems kind of like fake to me. So for me, living in different places is the key. Like I, I don't like traveling at all. I just like being in new places and you've got to travel to do that. So that's how I think about it now. Wow. I've never heard it put that way, but that's true. Like, and I, I've met a lot of people that are on the road continually and they, they're very into staying somewhere as long as they can actually. What, how, how long do you stay in places now? So in 2019, it was my second year being uh, nomadic and I was very nomadic. I was like probably averaging a new place every one week to two weeks. Um, I, I did spend the first part of 2019 in Buenos Aires for two and a half months. Uh So that felt really good. And I did make local friends, like you said. Um, Since then, it was just kind of moving. Some places were three weeks but I would say no more than three weeks at a time. And so 2020, I'm, I'm trying to make it a point to start extending that length out and maybe doing places for a month at a time is like baby steps to three months. <laughs> cool. And did you feel like you were tired from it or are you still enjoying the kind of fast travel? I would call that fast travel. 
Yeah, I, I think I would too. Um, <laughs> I, I I did get burnt out a few times and, and just told myself, look, you've got to start traveling more slowly. Uh-huh. Um, but um, I think that the cruise we just went on really helped because it was the longest I'd been on in one room and in, in one cabin um, for a long time. So it felt good to just kind of keep coming back to the same place, even if it was a tiny cruise ship cabin. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I wonder if it's like a pro- pro- progression, like people, when they first start traveling, they just want to see everything. And then after a while, you just get more and more slow. <laughs> yeah. It's like a, it's like a gimme, 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 gimme. I want to do it all. I want it all. And then you like yeah. start to say, I don't, I, I don't need that much. I just it, need some peace and quiet. <laughs> it's also far some, cheaper if you do long-term rentals, you know, like mo- renting a spot for a month is so much cheaper than renting, t- renting it for a week. That is so true. And I've been realizing that more and more on Airbnb. I'm like, I've seen some places that are given like 50% discounts. If you just add that one extra day, that makes it a month. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy. Sometimes if you just push it to that extra day, it costs less than if you stay a day less. Yeah. Um, and then another thing is if you, if you stay in a place for a long time, you'll end up like I've, I've ended up finding opportunities, uh, in Costa Rica, we, we stayed there for a week last time and we were only going to stay there for for that week and while we were there we had somebody came to us with a house sitting opportunity so we ended up staying there for another four weeks or three weeks for free all we had to do is take care of a dog so that was awesome so we were saving a lot of money and living on the beach in costa rica and so and that kind of stuff pops up more more often than really i expect and and you just find a lot of opportunities like we were just in uh those islands krabi in thailand and i found a a boat that was willing to take people on all they had to do is help with like boat work and they were advertising going all around the south pacific and that wouldn't have cost anything either so once you kind of get out and spend a while in a place a lot of opportunities kind of open up because you're not just you know fulfilling those patterns of travel that that you set you know when you were in another country or whatever that's so true and you don't just meet people for that for one you know one time as a local you yeah, you can start to build those relationships. So very inspirational for someone who's been struggling to slow it down. Uh, money, <laughs> money and friends. That sounds good. Yeah. More money, more friends. It's a great way to do yeah. it. In Costa Rica, we, we were, <laughs> we were in a, like we got, like I said, we got that house sitting opportunity. And uh, the day before we got the house sitting opportunity, we, we were talking to a guy who saves turtles in Punta Banco. They've got a, a turtle restoration project and, he was talking to us about the turtle restoration project and we were like, Oh, that's too bad. We're going to be gone. You know, when you release these turtles that we, that he recently had saved the eggs from the beach. And so, uh, we, but then because we stayed for an extra month, we got to see the turtles get released into the ocean. And that was like a really, really cool thing. And so that kind of stuff doesn't happen if you're just like, Oh, you know, we've got our ferry booked for tomorrow afternoon and, you know, we're checking out of this place and checking into this new place in this other town. And yeah, you don't leave any opportunity up for, What's it called? Spontaneity. That's so Something true. Like that. Yeah. Wow. I'm sure you could you could fill a whole hour of with stories like that too. That opportunities <laughs> that came about from slower travel. Yeah. When I was in South Africa, I was hanging out with this um, with this guy just from uh, we we met at a at a wine tasting event, and then he ended up at the end of our trip, he went with my friends and I to a trip to Durban. Um, so we flew to Durban, and he had to drive a car back. And uh, so I ended up just saying goodbye to my friends there. And I drove a car back with him all the way along the South African coast from Durban to Cape Town. And it was only because I'd been hanging out with him and I, did, I didn't, didn't have anything specific to do in the next few weeks. And that trip was awesome because he was an actual South African guy. And so he, would, he was showing me around like where he grew up. And it was just really cool. Yeah. Amazing. Wow. South Africa is huge. It's like the size of California. And so driving along the coast is just really special. You know, okay, I'm going to ask you uh, two more big questions. And okay. the first one's, the, I think the first one's harder. So how has travel changed your life? I think that it's really hard to pinpoint. So it's, it's a bit like the way that I think about things is different from people that have never really left the country. And I'd say um, a lot of the people that I grew up with are um, kind of more on the like Republican you know, anti-socialism side of things. And I was like a lot more like that when I was younger, but then moving, and I'm only bringing this up as like one data point. Like there's a bunch of them. And I, I think in, I can think of another story I want to talk about, but like the, I've been to like countries that are socialists and they're better than 
our country when you're just walking around on the streets, right? <laughs> if you go to Australia, there's almost no homelessness. Um, people feel confident in the fact that they're not going to get sick and go into tremendous amounts of debt. You know, I have friends in the U.S. that, you know, crack their ribs and don't even go to the hospital because they don't want that $20,000 bill or something like that. And, uh, you know, you go to San Francisco and it looks like it's a war zone. You know, you go to Los Angeles and there's these terrible areas like Skid Row where there's just the homelessness is just a way of life there. And then you don't see that in places like Thailand. So it's like, what? When people say things like, oh, the U.S. is the greatest country in the world. It's like, uh, I don't think you've seen the way most other countries do it, you know. And so I think that that would be like one one point. Another thing people say like, oh, the U.S. is the freest country in the world. And But if you go to a place like um, Thailand or the Philippines, if you want to start a business, you can just like, if you want to start a haircutting business, you just like walk out the front door with scissors and stuff like that and, you know, a seat for somebody and you can start a haircutting business and start growing it. But in the United States, you need to do all this federal stuff and there's all these protections. And I mean, I think haircutting is the best one because it's, I don't see a lot of externalities of people being able to just work on their own. And, uh, and so I think that's another thing is you, you don't see a, a, cap, a free freedom of mercantilism in the United States, which I think a lot of people sort of perceive. Yeah, I mean, just the way people live in like Thailand, everybody's like really happy and there's a lot more people relaxing, and doing whatever they want. Whereas in the U.S., it's usually go, 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 go like five days a week at the, at the very least. Um, and so I think I learned a lot that I don't need to work 100% of the time when I'm in foreign countries which was a big deal for me because I grew up working really hard and like in construction and stuff. So those are kind of like three points. But the truth is, it just really changes you like fundamentally traveling does, in my opinion. You also see things that are really cool, like uh, like in South Africa, like racism's far more abundant than in the United States. But it's also it's in between, you know, separate sects of people. It's not all based on color like it is in the U.S. Like the U.S. has kind of this like, there's black people and white people and, you know, Asian people and, you know, brown people. And that's like, it doesn't mean anything, really. If you go to South Africa, there's like different types of black people who don't like each other and different types of brown people who don't like each other. And so you kind of, that just changes the way you think about racism as well. Um, yeah. And then funding, a lot of finance stuff, you kind of learn that you're like, oh, I don't need to work for 30 years to own a home in this other ho- country. That sounds great. Uh, so, yeah, it kind of makes you not really want to play into the U.S. sort of like work for 30 years to own a home type game. Um, if you realize that you could just build one in a in a country. So those are just a bunch of points that kind of signal to the fact that like traveling sort of changes the way you think about everything, or at least the way I think about everything. Well, wow, thank you so much for sharing all those points. That's really, you've really learned a lot. And I think you're saying too that you f- you see just the bigger picture. You're not at the top of the heap with no view of what's below you. You're actually just one part of a whole world out there. Yeah, yeah. It's really wild. I don't talk to enough people back home and stuff too. So I, I'm not sure if I'm way out on a limb with some of those ideas. So I hope nobody gets really upset about it. But, uh, you know, what am I going to do? Yeah, but I mean, it's always good to share what you're really thinking. And I wish more we could see and hear more of that on the, the local news in the U.S., for example. Yeah, the local news is bonkers, too. I, I stopped watching news like years ago, and I haven't lost a single thing. I used to watch it all the time when I was in college. And uh, yeah, nothing, nothing's been lost. I don't, so I don't know that it's actually useful. I think that the news is some sort of like a gross depiction of, of something that's not even yeah, actually happening. I've, I've definitely felt that when I went to countries that were yeah. deemed incredibly dangerous and then, you know, nothing, I mean, nothing happened to me, but I just got a sense of calm on the streets and things like that as well. It wasn't like a, a war zone state, like the, it would be depicted in, on, on some news channels. Yeah, absolutely. My final question for you today, Ian, is what would you tell people that are thinking about getting out on the road and starting a lifestyle of exploration and adventure that, that might be still afraid to, to take that leap. I don't, if, you want, if you really want to, just make really easy one. You know, If you're afraid of it, go to Canada. There's, it's like you'll realize it's practically the same, except for the people are nicer and <laughs> the money's a little different. Like, you know, if you're afraid of it, go to Canada. And then once you go to Canada, you're like, oh, right, this is fun and easy. And then so Vancouver would be a great one. And then go to uh, Mexico and step it up step by step. And then, yeah, before you know it, you might be enjoying countries like uh, 
South Africa or something. Yeah, but it's it's important to take it easy. I think like going to Bali on your first trip might be pretty intimidating. The money is really different. Nobody speaks English. Um, so yeah, I think taking it slow is a good good way to start. If you have existing things that you really like to do, like say you're really into skiing, go skiing in Canada. Uh, if you're really into rock climbing, go rock climbing in Thailand. I think Thailand's a pretty chill one to to travel to. If you like, if you if you're into rock climbing, you could go to like Tonsai, and the, that would be a pretty big tra- adventure. But there's a lot of rock climbers there, so when you got to the place, you would immediately fall in with a group of people. That it's really easy to meet people if you're into the same thing, especially when you're in foreign countries. So maybe look into your passions, and uh, yeah, and then find a community doing the thing that you already enjoy doing. I think that might be helpful. Great. I love it. Yeah. Thank you. All right. And if people want to find you, where can they go to follow you or see some of these things you've been talking about? Everything's at ianrobinson.net. I just started a new podcast, so you could subscribe to that. Uh, I, I think I'm calling it Ent- Enterprise, Adventure, and Art or something like that. If you search that on Google, I was going to call it the question mark podcast, but it didn't work. So I'm just going to, but everything's at ianrobinson.net. And there's a, there's an email sign up there, but I never send emails. So yeah, if you go to ianrobinson.net, there'll be a bunch of this stuff. You could click the podcast link and then uh, I think that's the best way to get started. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ian. It has been like a dream of mine to interview the very first person I ever heard with my headphones on for a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like I said, it was it was really, really, really sweet of you to tell me that. So I, I'm really grateful that we got to meet and uh, I'm glad you like the podcast. Thank you. I, I really do. And check it out, listeners. It's very interesting already. There's only two episodes up right now, but I'm sure there's going to be many more. Oh, I put so. all the old Love Affair travel episodes on there. So there's around 80 episodes up there now. Oh, fantastic. So, okay. Yeah. All those old, old episodes are up there. And your, your, of course, your first podcast was the, what inspired me to really push out of the office. So Listeners, yeah. it will, I think it's going to inspire you too. If you if you search Love Affair Travel, which is the old name of the show, I just changed it around. So now it should show up in iTunes. All right. Thank you so much, Ian. Yeah. Thank you, Becky. It was great talking to you. I hope you all enjoyed what Ian had to share about his journey from growing up in Reno, Nevada, to traveling around the world, running his own company, wherever he can catch the next waves. There are so many Ian stories you haven't heard, and if you'd like to check them out, please search for the Art, Adventure, and Enterprise podcast in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find there, as Ian mentioned, more than 80 episodes of his backlog of his original podcast, along with his new format. There is a lot of armchair adventure there that you can escape to whenever you find yourself stuck at home or in the office. We will put links and show notes on theschooloftravels.com. Today's travel quote comes from Ian himself, direct from the episode. I loved when he said, I I don't like traveling at all. I just like being in new places. Thank you, Ian. It was incredible to meet you, and I hope we get to meet again one day on the road or even another Nomad Cruise. Until next time, listeners, stay safe, stay strong, and stay tuned. Thanks for listening to the School of Travels podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to The Sam Chase for allowing us to use their song, In a Perfect World. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode, and remember to always let travel be your teacher. If you keep your options open, there are places you will go. They will treat you like the kings and queens your parents thought you'd be when you were born. You'd see it all. Standing tall, and you'd look back and think it's funny how you spent your time and money.